The problem with the whole world is that man does not worship and glorify him, isn't it? Things would be a lot different if we did. Not just different, but better. We're continuing this morning in the book of Matthew, looking at the Lord's Prayer and breaking down its parts, and this is the last of the thys, right? Before we get into the us, 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 this is the last of the thys we see before Jesus teaches us how to pray for God's provision, for his forgiveness, and for his protection. He opens the prayer with the thys, right? Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, and now thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So let's read the prayer again, and I encourage you, as often as we read it, let's, let's pray it, right? So as I'm reading, let's pray again the, the Lord's Prayer. Beginning in uh, Matthew chapter 6, at verse 9, Jesus says, pray then like this, before we do. As I continue to study this, you realize this was like, Jesus did a lot of stuff, and his, you know, we don't have... The, the dialogue, the script of everything that was ever said between the disciples and Jesus, okay? We understand that. This is not everything that was ever said. They could have asked him more questions, but you know the one that we got here? The one question the disciples said, how do you do that? It was prayer. Teach us how to pray, right? And this is what he said. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. How do you suppose God's will is done in heaven? Perfectly, right? And it's his desire it would be done perfectly here. And so his desire is our desire. That's what we pray for in the Lord's Prayer. And praying the will of God means knowing the will of God. That's the main idea of the sermon this morning. I'm going to break it down into two points. We're going to talk about the revealed will of God, what we call the prescriptive will of God, what is prescribed in his word. And we're going to talk about the secret will of God, or what we would call the decretive will of God, all that he is decreed. We know God is sovereign and nothing comes to pass that he is not decreed. Nothing happens in this universe that God has made without him willing it to happen. And although we don't really understand how that part works, we trust that, that God does know how that works. We, we trust that his ways are right and just, and so we pray even the parts of his will that we don't really, we're not able to put names on or understand, that he would work those things out that he has decreed for his glory, even though we may not fully understand how that works. So just to clarify, though, before we, we get into this, God does not have two wills, all right? His will is not divided. He doesn't have two wills working against one another. God has one will, but there's parts that he's revealed to us and there's parts that he has not. So that's what we're, we're talking about. So first, the revealed, the prescriptive will of God. When we pray, thy will be done, we're not just praying, Lord, come whatever may. God has given us his word so that we can know him, and, we, and knowing someone know, means knowing what's important to them, doesn't it? Really knowing someone, having a relationship with them is knowing what's important to them. And he's made it clear what his will is for his creatures and how he's bringing that about. In this third petition, we're praying what we know already about the will of God. 
and that we would be concerned to know the will of God, to seek it out and to do it. That we would endeavor to know the will of God by searching the scriptures and seeing how his plan of redemption and restoration is working out through history. And then to apply what we discover in his revealed word uh, in our own lives, to understand what his will is for us and apply it in our own lives. And Jesus, of course, is always our model. We, we, we see what Jesus did in his earthly ministry was he looked at himself and he looked at his life and his circumstances in every situation and he applied the revealed word of God to it. You, you think about when Satan uh, tempted him in the wilderness. What did he do? What, what do you see there? He, he immediately falls back on the revealed will of God, the word of God. He says, it is written. Remember, that's his answer to those temptations. It is written. It is written. What is written is a force field of protection against temptation for his people. And what is written informs us of the will of God for our lives so that we can commit ourselves to it. Right? That commitment part is a lot harder. It's easier when we're using it as a shield, as a force field to, to protect us. It's another thing to commit to it when we know it will cost us. And Jesus models that for us too, doesn't he? In the Garden of Gethsemane. He knew what was coming. He knew he would be brutally beaten, openly mocked and humiliated by men, creatures of his own hands. And he knew that that would pale in comparison to then drinking the full cup of God's wrath. Even so, he says, let this cup pass, but not mine, but your will be done. You know, Jesus didn't just throw that out there. Do whatever you want, Father. No, he knew what the Father wanted, and he submitted to it. Have you ever stiff-armed God in his will for you? Can you look back on a time or a season where you know you were resisting the will of God in your life, where you in effect said, no, not yours, Lord, but my will be done. I have. I surely have. I've never said that prayer out loud, right? But my heart has prayed that prayer. Not yours, but my will be done, Lord. I won't bore you with the numerous stories of occasions when that's been the case, more, more than I can count, sadly. Times when I've dug my heels in and I would like a little child cover my eyes and my ears and be like, I can't hear you. I'm sure a lot of y'all can probably relate to that. When have you done that? Think about it now. You don't just hear words coming at you this morning, all right? Think about it. When have you done that? And how did it turn out? Eventually, it turned out exactly the way God wanted it to, didn't it? Because God is so gracious to us and so patient with us, he'll often allow us to take our unwise, disobedient little detours, but eventually just bring us right back to where he wanted us all along. But with some scars and some bruises, right? You know what I mean? That's an example, though, of God's decretive will being carried out despite our disobedience to his prescriptive will. We praise him for both. We pray for both. But this prescriptive will thing, this is the thing he really draws our attention to. That's what we're continuing to talk about in this first point. He gives us principles in his word, doesn't he? 
gives us principles in his word and direction from the Holy Spirit that regulates us, helps us to evaluate our judgments and our emotions, to weigh our options carefully, no matter what the circumstances or the situation. And that's good for us because when we're not governed by anything but our whims, we sin. It's just that simple. We know we have deceitful hearts and and corrupt motives, and what gives us pause and, and grounds us is the prompting of the Holy Spirit and what he is generally most pleased to bring our attention to and to fix our minds upon is what he has revealed to us in his word. That's why reading the Bible is not a hobby. It is sustenance for the Christian. I think sometimes Christians think you guys may be guilty of this, I don't know, but that when you're, when you're exhorted from the pulpit like this to read Scripture, that you're being asked to become Bible scholars. That's not the charge. The charge is just to take care of yourself. Nourish yourself. So receive that exhortation to read your Bible more and more regularly, not as some despot telling you to do it or else, but receive it as you would from a, a kindly old Italian grandmother who says, eat, eat, you're too skinny. Skinny Christianity is weak and vulnerable. This special revelation that you're hopefully holding in your hands right now, this special revelation from God is food that satisfies the soul's hunger. And it curbs your appetite for sin. When you're familiar with it, the Holy Spirit uses it to minister to you when you're angry, when you're fearful, when, when you're riddled with anxiety. Y'all know God doesn't want you to be there. That's, that's not his will for his people. And we know that because his word tells us that. And he tells us in his word that his word itself brings healing. It reminds us of his love and the eternal security we have in Christ. It is what we need for life. It is sustenance. It is food. And all those reminders, right? Uh, God's steadfast love toward his people, the eternal security we have in Christ, God's sovereignty, his, his providence, those reminders are like a good set of glasses that when you put them on, you see more clearly. It doesn't change what's in front of you, but you can see it more clearly. It, 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 you can make more sense of it and begin to reason through it rightly. It shifts you out of a reactive state into a contemplative state. You don't have to react to every situation or feeling in the flesh. You walk by the Spirit and you take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And where do we learn how to obey Christ? The Word. So, in order to utilize that, in order to access that, you have to have that tool in your toolbox. There has to be some familiarity with the Word of God in order to discern the will of God. And God says you can, Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. He lets us know. 
He hasn't hidden it from us. So when we pray, thy will be done, don't imagine we're just like trying to throw a Hail Mary pass with three seconds left on the clock and just hope something good happens. We pray thy will be done knowing something of what God's will is for us. We pray that prayer not blindly but intelligently. We pray it because we know what it is that we're asking for and we know that what it is we're asking for is good. So here's some of what it looks like. This petition, thy will be done, comes on the heels of of thy kingdom come, right? And the logical consequence of the kingdom coming is that the king's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not all at once, but his gospel, the good news of this kingdom spreads as it spreads and it begins to take root in the hearts of the of, of men and women, the result will be that the will of God is, is being done on the earth. That's what transformation looks like. You know, it transforms me, it transforms you, and then the more people it transforms, the more you begin to see the will of God being done all over the face of the earth. Not perfectly, but that's God's will, that his will would be done perfectly on earth as it is in heaven, and that's where everything's driving. Now, you can imagine the will of God, as we said before, only ever being done perfectly in heaven. And while it may not be being done perfectly down here as of yet, we know it will be. Because God says that's what he intends, and so we pray, thy will be done. Now what's it look like? How can we tell that his will is being done? How would we know if it were? Not, not even perfectly, like I said, but just at all. When a person is converted, when they're given a new heart, when they're given eyes to see and ears to hear the word of God, they learn to love his law. They hated it before. But as they study it and meditate on it, they become more and more impressed with the wisdom of God, the holiness of God. They desire to see more of it in their own lives than in the lives of everyone around them. So a big part of what it means that the will of God is done on the earth is that his law is kept. And again, anytime we talk about law keeping, I'm going to remind us over and over again that we're not talking about keeping the law in order to be accepted by God, right? Our acceptance by God is proven at the cross. Our allegiance to God is proven by our works, By faith, Abraham was justified, Hebrews 11. But his works testified to the credibility of his profession of faith, James 2. He wasn't accepted by God because he offered Isaac on the altar. He he laid Isaac on the altar because he was already accepted by God and trusted in him completely. We saw that with Noah, didn't we? Trusted God and did as God commanded Our acceptance by God is proven at the cross. Our allegiance to God is proven by our works. Don't forget that and don't confuse the two, okay? It's a really important distinction. Law and grace work together. They are not enemies, all right? But it's important to know and remember, one will save you and the other will not. It's because we have been justified by grace through faith that we're concerned with the will of God and that we want to do the good works which have been prepared for us to walk in, Ephesians 2.10. And the works which are prepared for us and are acceptable to God are those that are in accordance with his will. And his will is revealed in 
his law. We know God's law is summed up in love God and love neighbor. But what does that look like? Where do we learn how to do that? The law itself, right? The same one Jesus did not come to abolish but to fulfill. Love God and love neighbor, y'all, isn't an abstract thing. You know, we, we don't do that. Uh, God's not asking us to love him, him and our neighbor on our own terms. You know, this isn't one of those, you know, remember those mad libs where you just fill in the blanks and kind of create your own story by putting in these words and it's funny when you read it back and everybody's got theirs and someone else has theirs. No, 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 no. <laughs> right? We don't, we don't have options here. There's not a word bank to choose from. Love God and love neighbor is not an abstract thing. He lists clearly in the four, first four commandments what he means when he says love God. And he lists clearly what he means when he says love your neighbor as yourself in the last six. Now, the way those things work themselves out in, in certain situations and circumstances, they go into a lot more detail in uh, the rest of, of the law that we find in the Old Testament. But if we're talking about a summary, what is the summary? <laughs> you know, We see the will of God in his law. Let's take a quick look. Let's, let's take a quick walk through the Ten Commandments as a refresher. The first four tell us how to love God, and the last six tell us how to love neighbor. And all ten collectively show us how to love God and love neighbor, which is what Jesus says the, the sum of the law is. So the first commandment, you shall have no other gods. You shall have no other gods before me. When he says before me there, he's not talking about like ahead of him, like having one on the top shelf and he's on the bottom shelf. No, no, no. No other gods in my face. Not in my sight. You're praying that you're praying that would be done on earth as it is in heaven, that there would be no rivalry or competition with the triune God of Scripture on the good earth that he has made. That there would be no room for competition, that no other gods would be named on the earth. That sounds like Christian nationalism. No, it doesn't. It sounds like the Great Commission. Not looking, looking for a Christian nation. We're looking for all of the nations to be Christian. The second commandment is no idols. That God would be worshipped his way and that nothing he has created would be given the glory and honor that is due to him alone. That's what you're praying for. Thy will be done. That God would be worshipped in spirit and in truth according to the way that he has prescribed. Not men thinking for themselves what they think is best or would be more fun or more exciting or more enjoyable or more attractive or entertaining. Just the pure and undefiled worship of the one true and living God. Thy will be done, Lord. The third commandment is not to take the Lord's name in vain. He will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. That's what you're praying for. That God's name, his word, and his works will be held with respect and reverence in the good earth that he has made. That there would be no utterance of blasphemy on the face of the planet. The fourth is to keep the Sabbath day holy. Can you imagine if it were 
You know, I preached a, um, a sermon on the Sabbath years, years ago, and just to kind of paint a picture of, of what that would look like. Um, I used Christmas Day as an example. You, you know, if, if you travel anywhere on, on Christmas Day, every, it's like a ghost town, right? Like nothing's open, hardly anybody's working. People are spending time with their families and, and whatever else, right? It's quiet. There's like no traffic anywhere. There's no hustle bustle. You don't hear sirens, you know? And so I was, I was talking about what that would be like, and, and I'm discouraged to find out that this coming Christmas Day, which we have the, the blessing of falling on the Lord's Day, people just aren't going to have church. What sense does that make? Imagine if every Lord's Day were like Christmas Day and it were valued even more so. That's what we pray for when we pray thy will be done, that we would remember and honor his Sabbath day. That's what love for God looks like, those first four, okay? Not to the exclusion of the last six. Loving God looks like loving neighbor too, so that's included. But the, the, these first four are more pointed uh, at and, and related to God directly. So now we'll move into the last six. The fifth commandment is honor your father and mother. Who's in? Amen. <laughs> right? You know, not just for us and our children. Uh, we'd sign up for that in a heartbeat. Yes, Lord. Right? But what if all children everywhere honored their father and mother? What would happen to the crime rate? What happened to the divorce rate? You ever think about stuff like that? You know, what, what people keeping these commandments would mean for society? That's what we pray for. Thy will be done. The sixth commandment is do not murder. I don't think I have to go into this one. You know, what would it be like if murder ceased to be? God hates murder. He doesn't want it. It's not his will for people that, that, that they murder each other. He doesn't want them to murder each other. He wants us to preserve our own lives and the lives of others. We pray for that to be done on earth. The seventh commandment, do not commit adultery. What would it be like if faithfulness in marriage and purity and heart and conduct were the norm that's what we're praying for. The Eighth Commandments do not steal. How would you like to leave your doors unlocked at night? John still wouldn't do it. Ye of little faith. <laughs> Seriously, how would you like to leave your doors unlocked at night? Not because you live in a safe neighborhood, but because you live in a safe world where no one would ever dream of taking anything that didn't belong to them. That's what we're praying for. The Tenth Commandment is do not covet. What if everyone was only ever satisfied all the time and completely content? What would that be like? No complaining whatsoever. Never desiring anything that they did not have, but only ever rejoicing over everything that they did have. That's what it would be like if God's will were done on earth as it is in heaven. And it will be.
Jesus doesn't tell us to pray that because it's a nice thing to imagine. He wants us to imagine it because it's coming. And he wants our prayers to come into line with God's will for us and for his creation. He wants us to pray for things that we need and and to pray for God to to intervene on our behalf. We see that in, in the last part of the prayer, in the last petitions. But he wants our requests to be informed by what he's doing in our lives and in the world. What his goals and what his interests and what his intentions are. This is the world that we're imagining and praying for because this is the world God has in mind. So that's all point number one. Knowing God's will and praying for it is living and praying God's revealed will. We can know what it is. It's what he's prescribed in his word and especially his law. Now what we don't know, but we still pray for, is God's secret will or his decretive will. That's point number two. So spoiler alert, okay, this point's going to be a lot shorter for obvious reasons, right? There's a lot of things we don't know, but it's worth mentioning what we do know about what we don't know. Mainly, there's a lot we don't know. Something helpful here is what the Westminster Shorter Catechism says about the decrees of God, right? Question seven of the catechism says, what are the decrees of God? And the answer is, the, tr- the decrees of God are his eternal purpose, according to the counsel of his will, whereby for his own glory he hath foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. So here's what we know. God is eternal. His purpose is eternal. And he has a will and has willed whatever happens for his own glory. That's what we know. It's hard for us to imagine, though. It's hard for us to imagine when terrible, atrocious evils happen. Some of the most extreme cases, rape, murder, it's hard to imagine that God willed that. It's hard for us to imagine that God willed the the crippling deformity of a child or what we would call an untimely death of a child. It's hard for us to imagine God willed 9-11 or or Normandy or, or the Holocaust. That's some I don't know territory, isn't it? And y'all, I only use some of those most horrific examples because they're the ones we're all thinking about. Those are the things that cause us to question the sovereignty of God. It's hard to imagine that a good God who is in control would allow such evil to happen. But here's what's more terrifying. A God who is not in control and is surprised by all those things. We don't know how it all works out or why God allows it to happen or how it results in his glory. But what we do know is that God can do something. He has done something about it at Calvary and he is continuing to do something about it. And he won't stop until it's done. That's what we know. So we pray thy will be done. 
even those parts of his will that we don't understand and can't understand no matter how hard we try. You know, when you get in that cycle, you start getting worked up into a lather thinking about that kind of thing. Deuteronomy 29, 29 comes to mind, right? Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever so that we may do all the words of his law. That's one of those stay in your lane verses God gives us. Reminds us that he is God and we are not. There's some things we just don't know and we're not entitled to know. But the things we do know, that God is good, he's holy, he's wise, he's all-powerful and just, we take that in conjunction with his instructions for how to live and we act accordingly. And we trust him with the rest. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. That's enough for us. God says that's enough for us. Do you believe him? I know you want more. I know we're curious. I know we want answers. We'll get them one day, y'all. Just not yet. In the meantime, we pray for his will to be done. We glorify him. We praise him because he is wise and we're not. We are like little children who don't know how to go out or come in. Let's believe we are who God says we are. And let's believe he is who he says he is. God has a plan and a will to see that plan carried out. He's not abandoned us. He's not abandoned the work of his hands. In fact, he sent his only son to have his hands pierced in order to redeem And it's been redeemed in order that his will might be done in it forever for his glory and for the benefit of his creatures. So we pray thy will be done with our eyes open, right? And with the spectacles of scripture, knowing God's will that's revealed to us and trusting that part of God's will we don't fully know or understand. This is faith. Not blind faith. An informed faith that trusts even when it cannot see. Because we've seen enough to know that this God we serve is worthy of honor. He's worthy of our allegiance, of our hope and of our worship and of our prayers. And we pray for his perfect will, all of it, be do- to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray. Lord God Almighty, as we have confessed to you this morning, Lord, You are God and we are not. You, by your all-wise plan, have foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. Even when its passing crushes us, as it did your servant Job. Help us in those situations, Lord, to, to cry as Job did. The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And Lord, help us to, to have a hunger for your word. Help us to delight in your instruction. Fools despise instruction, your word tells us in Proverbs 1.7. Let us not be the fool. Help us to search out your word as for hidden treasure. 
And Lord God, by your Holy Spirit, apply it to us so that we would want to apply more of ourselves to it. Help us this day as we leave this place in just a few minutes to glorify you in what we do and, and what we think and, and what we say. Help us to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and our neighbor as ourselves for your glory and the good of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.